are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is happening and welcome to the Locked On Pistons podcast, your episode for Monday, December 8th and 2 Twin losses that the Pistons had over the weekend. We'll talk about that today. This is your boy, Matt Shook, the host of the Lockdown Pistons podcast, a sports writer here in the Motor City covering the NBA for the Associated Press and the Detroit News. Pistons fan and follower my whole life and a sports newspaper reporter for over a decade as well. Thank you for spreading the word about the Lockdown Pistons podcast. That's going to be your task for 2019 as it is rapidly approaching now. Looking forward to seeing what this season brings. It's been such a streaky year for the Pistons so far. Remember when I talked about two MVP candidates coming to Detroit this weekend? Well, they basically didn't come, and the Pistons suffered two losses anyway. Very frustrating times for fans of this team, and I know that's what you guys are. So today we're going to recap the weekend. Losses to the Philadelphia 76ers, a team that I just hate right now. I'm sorry. And then an even worse loss to one-tenth of Anthony Davis and also the New Orleans Pelicans. We're going to take a, talk about what my main takeaways were from the weekend. They're not good ones. Spoiler alert there. And we're also going to – we got the who's your piston question that I threw out there. I got a voicemail from one of the listeners that we'll share. Also look ahead to tonight. The grind continues against Philly. Remember when they just had that stretch where they played one game in seven days? Well, the games are coming fast and furious now. But give me a follow on Twitter at Matt underscore Shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, another underscore after that. Also the Lockdown Pistons Twitter account. And check us out on Facebook at Lockdown Pistons dash Matt Shook. Follow us, follow us all over the internet. We really appreciate you guys doing that. And all the retweets and likes go a long way, as you know. But look, I'm angry with this team, just like you are. I don't root for the Pistons when I go work games or practices for the news or also for uh, Associated Press. But when I'm watching at home, I'm, I'm basically rooting just like you guys are. Probably no surprise there, but... More so, you know, I kind of need these guys to be relevant for the whole season as far as being in the playoff picture, being at least interesting for one reason or another so that the podcast numbers go well. My employers at the papers feel that they need a lot of good content about the team. So we'll, you know, we'll use more bodies, get more articles in there and all that good stuff. So, you know, I'm upset like all you guys also because I have to sit there and not take a nap on Sunday afternoon but watch this team kind of sleepwalk through another game. But uh, I'm glad that I had a few hours to step away. After the Pelicans game, I'm taping this later on Sunday night. So um, maybe a little bit more level-headed than I would have been right after that game. But let's start with Friday, 117-111, to 111, losing to the Philadelphia 76ers. No Joel Embiid. Maybe gave Andre the idea that he needed to be a go-to offensive player. He was not. We know that when he tries to force things, it usually does not end well. He had 21 points, but he was 7 of 19 from the field, which is really bad for a big guy. And after going 10 for 23, from the field on Sunday when they needed him once again in another game that he tried to do too much. His field goal percentage is down right now to 50.4%, a career low for Drummond so far this season. No more post-ups, and obviously no more threes. We could have told you that. We did tell you that all summer, but he's 3 for 19 from 3 at this point, 15.8%, as bad as it gets, basically. Blake Griffin, who, who was good on Friday? Well, the same guy who was good every game. Blake Griffin, you're starting to feel bad for him because he brings it every night and is getting no help these days. But 31, 12, and 6 on Friday. Andre, as we said, did have 21 points and 10 rebounds. So more good counting stats from him. 
Uh, 12 points for Galloway off the bench, Langston Galloway, who has been great lately. But the Pistons is a team 7 of 28 from 3, 25%, not good enough there. Reggie had 13 points, played well at times. Bruce Brown had some early defensive success against Jimmy Butler, but that didn't last. Nobody else has a chance with the way that this roster is looking with the depletion from the injuries. 38 points from Jimmy Butler. The technical foul on Blake Griffin late. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you, you already know how I feel about this. Um, but that for them to go to the replay and assess a technical foul that wasn't wasn't originally assessed. I mean, you, you know how you can see how people dive and get calls. It was very similar to what happened with uh, Andre Drummond and Joel Embiid fairly early in the season. But you, you know, I mean, you can see how refs fall victim to players diving or, or things that might have looked a certain way in live action, and then. Maybe the the instant replay isn't too favorable to them. But for them to watch that replay and then decide that that needed to be assessed as a technical foul. And I know that any kind of extracurriculars after the whistle, uh, they're probably putting a, a pretty big hammer on. But, man, as a, as a guy who, like many of you, grew up on certain types of basketball, certain types of plays. And, again, I know I'm a broken record as far as some of this stuff with my old person opinions about uh, basketball and, and days gone by and how the three-pointer is actually a lot more boring of a game than uh, what we used to have. And I know that that's antiquated opinions, and some of you are probably uh, rolling your eyes as you're listening to the Lockdown Pistons podcast today. But, man, that just really bothered me. And, and again, basically that extra free throw in the final, I don't know if it was like the last two minutes of the game, the Pistons were down about six at that time. It it ended any chance of a Pistons comeback to just give them that free free throw and essentially ended the game. And I'm very consistent about this with officials. I tell them to swallow the whistles late in games. Don't be the ref that makes the game-deciding call. And I, and I would argue that in this situation when the Pistons are trying down their last gasps to make a comeback, calling that technical foul, you know, decided – the game and ended the game. And I know that it wasn't the reason that they lost, but it was at that point became this game is over as opposed to the Pistons having a chance at that time. And again, I've been um, consistent with that opinion on both sides of it uh, as long as I've been doing this podcast, as long as I've been watching basketball, actually. Mike Muscala had some big buckets, legendary Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer Mike Muscala, 18 points off the bench on a night where J.J. Redick was 5 of 18, 2 of 10 from 3, no Joel Embiid. The Pistons can't capitalize on their fortunes, losing one that they should have won. And speaking of which, let's move on to Sunday, 116-108, to a loss to the New Orleans Pelicans. Anthony Davis played 26 minutes and had six points. He looked nothing like himself after getting the hip pointer and the collision with Blake Griffin. He was awful. He actually hurt his team being out there in the second half. Wasn't doing anything off athletic defensively like he normally does. He's one of the best, you know, five or so defensive players in the NBA and, you know, a transcendent talent and just didn't have anything in the second half. His were the only shots that were going up, and you knew they weren't going in. I mean, he had no chance. Uh, Tim Frazier, some guy named Tim Frazier had 14 points. I think I went to high school with him. I don't know. But uh, Nikola Mirotic, he was really bad also. He had 12 points, 5 of 13 from the field. Still struggling for him physical-wise to come back from the illness that he had last week. Not the player that he was very early in the season. Julius Randle didn't really even do all that much. Um, but uh, Drew Holiday did have the 37 points. He was great. 
Um, made a bunch of threes. I think it was like six of ten from three, which is unusual for him. He's not a good three-point shooter on most nights. So, you know, bad fortune there for the Pistons. But obviously defending the three-point line is a skill as well. It's not just a, by chance that guys are drilling or, or missing three-pointers. And again, broken record for Blake Griffin, 35 points. Doing it all himself. Andre Drummond, 23 and 19. Again, felt very empty on the stat sheet. 10 of 23. 3 of 6 from the free throw line, came up very small in big situations, not in situations where it could have made an impact, missing post-ups late, driving me crazy, not finishing traditional and ones when he gets hit lightly, you know, just, just still make the bucket. You know, we've seen all these other guys on other teams making their and ones when they get lightly touched around the rim. He misses around the rim so much these days. It feels like, and again, I pass along the numbers, 50.4%, a career low for him. It's a statistic that he usually excels in, field goal percentage, and it's it's been worse this year around the basket. And I tweeted about this. Um, Pistons had it down to five with a minute 30 to go. Reggie comes back in, uh, feeds Andre in the post, and Andre, you know, and is the, the very first pass of the, of the possession early in the shot clock, Andre just does not pass out of the post. That's something he does not have as part of his game for some reason. Um, but that was the look that Andre thought, or that Reggie thought, that the team should go with, knowing that it's gonna, it's going up, and, and and of course Andre just stumbles around and misses what should have been a dunk, and the game's over. It's the same story we've seen for post ups for him for seven years now. Um, I'm like many of you guys. I'm very down on Reggie Jackson right now. It was maybe one of the worst games I've ever seen from him. Uh, I got an an, unin- an uninterested vibe from him throughout most of the game. Tried to make an impact late and made things worse. Uh, by doing that, two points in 26 minutes, and like, like I said, comes back in for closing time, and just basically torpedoes the comeback that they were making at that time. And, and he's got, and also just, and I know that this is a lot of his body, the accumulation of injuries, but he's got to be one of the worst defensive players in the league. I think we're seeing that night in, night out that other teams' point guards are just having their way with him, and there's really. Um, no end in sight. A career-high 24 points for Langston Galloway, the good news. I thought John Luer was very good. He had nine points. Jose Calderon did not score, but he was great. I thought that George Blaha and Special K did an outstanding job of pointing that out. Um, really, you know, kind of talking about how Reggie was really struggling, wasn't moving the ball, wasn't doing anything defensively, wasn't doing anything to help his team, and uh, that was probably the major, major reason for the loss. And obviously it's a sad state of affairs when you're leaning big on um on, on Jose Calderon, a guy who you know he's basically washed up, and, and I can't imagine what he's going to look like on the second half of a back to back today at the at 37 years old. But we will see. And the Pistons are now 13 and 11, just two games over 500 right now. The sixth seed in the Eastern Conference, only two and a half games from being outside of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference. The losing streak is four, and it's worse than that. They just had a week. And I don't have to tell you guys, but Oklahoma City, Milwaukee, Philly, New Orleans, just maddening uh, the way that they played for four games for any reason that you want to pick. Take your pick of reasons to be upset with this team right now. But up next, I have some main takeaways from the weekend's losses. But is your company looking for a new way to reach customers? You could be mentioned right here, right now on Locked on Pistons. Podcast listeners are 60% more likely to interact with sponsors that they hear on their favorite podcast. And our demographic is 98% males with more education and earning power than traditional media audiences. Have your company sponsor Locked on Pistons. If you're interested, email me at matt underscore shook, S-C-H-O-C-H, at yahoo.com to find out more. Yes! 
A little bit later on, we're going to hear a listener story about who their piston is and why. And we're also going to look ahead to tonight's game against the Philadelphia 76ers. But a disaster of a weekend, as we've touched upon already today. The main takeaways for me, first off, there's uh, as, as always happens with myself and many of you trigger-happy Pistons fans out there, and I consider myself to be part of that group, the trade talk. And we always hear this when there's some bad stuff going on or even when uh, the Pistons are playing well. Some people see an opportunity to possibly upgrade the roster at, at certain points. And I'm on record as saying that I'm uh, all in on hearing about any deals that the front office wants to explore. We know that Ed Stefanski came in this offseason and brought in his whole group of lieutenants, the player development people, the analytics people, the uh, you know the training and all that stuff. So it's, it's a whole new group of uh, talented and accomplished individuals that have come in here. They've all been here for a few months now. They've all gotten an up-close look at this team for 20-plus games. Uh, they've seen them when they're at their best. They've seen them when they're at their worst. So as far as, of course, it's a small sample size at the end of the day, but uh, it's also you know veteran guys that have proven uh, career you know trajectories, and you pretty much know what you're getting with most of these guys. I mean, a Luke Kennard's a young guy who could develop into something more. Maybe Stanley Johnson becomes a little bit more consistent. And, of course, you got rookies like Bruce Brown and Kyrie Thomas and a couple other wild cards out there. But by and large, this is a roster that you pretty much know what you're getting. Uh, from and for good ways and bad ways. So, I mean, if, if they have their ideas, if they have their spins on how to improve the roster in the short term and uh, keeping some long-term flexibility, then they maybe uh, can go ahead and put their stamp on this organization that way because they really haven't. You know, Glenn, Ed Stefanski and all those guys haven't really done anything, and, and that's not a, a knock on them. They had a, a small amount of salary cap to deal with in terms of capital this past summer, and then the, the, this trade, or the, the draft situation, obviously, after trading the first-round pick, was they, they did what they could with their, their one pick and, and traded into the second round this year as well to pick up the extra pick. So, you know, incomplete as far as how the front office is going, and maybe this is a group that sees the opportunities out there. Um, but I just, I just think that when you're looking at some of these trade scenarios, they need more guys with Detroit Pistons' DNA, the defense and the toughness. And I know, again, um, it's not never going to be the bad boys. It's never even going to be the going to work era. This game is a lot different. Again, I, I use that technical foul of Blake Griffin as kind of a barometer of where this game is at. It's um, there's re- and like I mentioned in my tweet, there's reasons that um, this team and this league isn't resonating with fans in the state of Michigan and in the city of Detroit. And a lot of it, of course, is the fault of uh, the last decade of Pistons basketball and how this team has. Uh, regressed and how this organization has not held up its end of the bargain as far as being any kind of consistent winner. But I think that the league is something that's not a product that appeals to people like me who are 35 years old, grew up on a certain type of basketball, a certain type of player, a certain type of uh, mentality. And they're, they're not get, we're not getting that from the league right now. I know this is a larger discussion and maybe we'll get into it some other times. And I know that there's a lot of the younger fans that, that, uh, hear about people like me, you know, talking about days gone by and what the what's wrong with the league. And I know that it gets a little bit tiresome, but, um, you know, but, but this team in particular, to bring it back into focus here, we really see with Reggie Bullock and Stanley Johnson, just what the perimeter defense looks like without them. And it's awful. I mean, so Drew Holiday's a nice player, but he shouldn't be scoring 37 points on the road. Jimmy Butler, same way. Not a fan myself, but he had 38 points on Friday. A good player, an all-star player. But uh, not a guy who should be torching you for 38 points if he's not knocking down three-pointers and 
really you should have enough guys that can distract him and make his life tough enough for one night to uh, to, to make him at least in the 20s. But any trades that the Pistons would make should boost, I think, the perimeter defense. And, of course, the three-point shooting would help the Pistons like it would help any team in the NBA. Everyone wants shooting, so it's a little bit of a premium, tougher to get some of those guys. You know, Kyle Korver fetched a pretty good haul for a guy who's in his late 30s at the end of his career. So you see what that means, especially to contenders and teams that hope to Make some noise in the playoffs this year. I've again, I've encouraged with the front office draft picks from this year. Uh, Bruce Brown and Kyrie Thomas, even Zaza Pachulia as a free agent, fit in with the mentality, the defense, the toughness. I know Zaza more of a, a toughness wild card type, a guy that you want to go to war with. Less so with the pickups of Glenn Robinson the third and Jose Calderon, but a level of toughness needs to be a pre- prerequisite to play on the Detroit Pistons. I think that that would be something that would help bring the fans back if you had more guys that you felt like you could go to war with. I didn't get that impression from this team, especially on Friday night against the Philadelphia 76ers. Things got a little chippy, and you saw some certain guys, and it's a lot of the same guys we talk about over and over again, didn't really rise to the occasion with the level of toughness that was needed. Glenn Robinson the third, while we touched on him, just, just really bad again over the weekend. And I know that there's some of you out there, maybe Michigan diehard fans, that he's your boy and uh, you're going to defend him a little bit more than maybe someone else. But I would say it's been a slump for him, but he hasn't really had too many good games at all this season. So it's more of a, just a bad year so far for him. You look at his minutes and Reggie Jackson's minutes, and there are obvious places that this team could have an upgrade. And I know that a lot of the trade scenarios that the fans throw out there are unrealistic. And, and I'm not a completely out on the idea of a John Wall trade like I know many of you are because of the contract. Completely understandable. For some folks, it's just a non-starter of a discussion. But I think if, if you got a roster, a cap sheet like the Pistons are going to have for these next three years, especially these next two years, and a, and a third year if you throw Blake's uh, last uh, year into that as well, the cap flexibility is not really going to be a thing with this team. Uh, at least until Andre's deal is off the books one year before Andre's or before Blake's Griffin Blake's uh, contract comes off the books. So you're talking about two more seasons after this one where you're in salary cap kind of hell. You're not going to be positioning for a big free agent or anything like that. I think because John Wall's value is so low around the league right now, especially given that contract, you're in a position of power with Washington where you don't have to give up the assets, the the Canards, the Stanley Johnsons of the world. Maybe do an upgrade at point guard, and John Wall is clearly an upgrade over Reggie Jackson. You put Reggie's contract in the deal to line up salaries and maybe also upgrade somewhere else by throwing in two, uh, you know, one player of each that is, is another piece that benefits the Pistons in that deal because you're taking on that massive contract. Maybe like Markeith Morris for Lure or like Kelly Oubre for Langston Galloway or something like that. Or maybe try to squeeze out a, a future first out of them instead of adding on more players. I think, I think there's an opportunity for Detroit there if Tom Gores, of course, is willing to go into the luxury tax over these next few years in a major way starting next season. And yes, I did, by the way, play around with the trade machine at the end of last week trying to figure out how to get Kyle Lowry here after his comments last week that were uh, cutting about Misai Ujiri. Um, and I know that they're playing so well in Toronto, obviously they're not going to want to rock the boat as we sit here on a Sunday night. But if they go through a tough stretch um, as the season goes on and maybe there's some point, some finger pointing going on over there, not happy about his role or something like that, it could get interesting there. But the big question is what kind of point guard works around Blake Griffin, obviously. I don't think John Wall or Kyle Lowry are ideal. They're just talent upgrades in an obvious way. But you need someone who can spot up for three, 
maybe a low volume guy because you do know that Blake's going to play that point forward type. So maybe it's a name that's not an all star type. Maybe one of the tanking teams has uh, some guys out there. Does you know does Jeremy Lin on a one year expiring deal make sense for this team off the bench in Atlanta right now? He's shooting it well from three. Uh, Yogi Ferrell is a guy who's trapped on the bench in Sacramento. Does that make sense for this team? Might be some ones to think about there. Um, but back to reality with this team. Uh, they are who we thought they were, right? Like Denny Green says, uh, we let them off the hook. The Bears are who we thought they were. But uh, this is the Pistons. Are, maybe we forgot it. Maybe we got the rose-colored glasses on for a couple days there with the Golden State and Houston wins and Philly and Toronto and all that. But this is a 500 team, maybe a few games above if they can stay healthy throughout the season. We're probably talking about the 7 or 8 seed in the East, a team that's moves away additions away, a bold front office strategy away from becoming a championship contender. That's still very much in the distance as far as things that they're striving for and working towards. So incomplete with the front office, but maybe we'll see something sooner rather than later with the urgency of the four-game losing streak. But I do think that they need to continue to bring in players who fit the Pistons culture, if for nothing else than to identify with the fan base a little bit, which is something that continues to be a problem here in Detroit. But the Lockdown Podcast Network doing unprecedented things on Twitter and Instagram. Give us a follow on Lockdown NBA Net. On both platforms, you will be happy to do it. A must-follow on Twitter and also for Instagram as well. Next, we're going to hear a listener story about their who their Piston is and also look ahead to tonight's game against the Philadelphia 76ers. That's next here on the Lockdown Pistons Podcast, which is a proud member of the Lockdown Network, your team every day. <laughs> hey Matt, this is Chris in Detroit. Um, huge fan of the show, huge Piston fan. This is in reference to your question. You wanted to know who our favorite Piston was, uh, who was the outlying Piston that we like so much. Not necessarily the All Stars. There's only one person I that I would even name. Well, maybe two, but but one in particular would definitely be John Barry. John Barry was probably the most underrated. Uh, spark plug in uh, Pistons history off the bench. When he came in the game, I knew exactly what he was going to do. He was going to move uh, with energy up and down the court. He'd knock down the big three that would invigorate everyone on the court and everyone in the crowd. They'd all celebrate. They'd jump up and down. They'd go crazy. John Barry was an instant energizer bunny. He'd come off the bench for the alternators. He'd knock on the big three. He'd he'd get fouled while going to the basket and make a amazing Dwayne Wade style layup, and it would always go in. He played with a lot of magic. That's just the way I would say. Uh, John Barry, the, the stats don't really show the impact that he had on the court whenever he would play. Thanks to Chris in Detroit for the call. We really appreciate it. He went on to say that uh, unfortunate that John Barry didn't get the title in Detroit, was only here for a couple of uh, years and didn't win in 04. And he also went on to say that Corliss was, was another one of his guys. So who, who's your guy? Let me know. Give us a call on the Google Voice line at 810-666-1546. Just leave a message like Chris did there. I want to play one of these every day, if we can, on each of the shows one of the regular fans that we got to call in, Andy and Breesh. I got Breesh and, uh, waiting on a, on a call for our other question that we had last week as well. So who is your Piston and why? And do you have any stories from the road of games that you went to? Uh, or like maybe you are like Breesh and you live out of town. You live in Philly. So you're going to maybe see the game uh, tonight and we'll get it, maybe a report from him. And then uh, just, just, just what do you think? What, do you have any good stories from the road? Did you see some of the players out? That kind of thing. 
Um, and then of course, like Chris uh, talked about, who's your who's your piston? You know, kind of stealing the who's your tiger thing. Who's your piston that uh, is a little bit more of the un- unheralded guys, not one of the Hall of Famers, not one of the All Stars? And of course, John Barry, a beloved guy in Detroit Pistons history, and was part of that era that uh, turned him from a bad team to a good team. The Rick Carlisle era of a couple years. Um, I think it holds a special place in our hearts because you know they were bad for a long time, and that's the kind of situation that this Pistons team could be in if they can put a whole season together and get in as a succeed and make some noise in the playoffs or something. We'll remember that group fondly if they're able to rise it up to a new level and start a new consistent brand of winning Detroit basketball. And, and John Barry, uh, an alternator, a guy who uh, knocked down a lot of big shots in his time in Detroit, I've I found that uh, watching him as an analyst, I heard him on uh, Matt Derry's new Pistons podcast through the team, which you should check out, by the way, called Wired. Uh, Matt Derry of the Locked on Lions podcast doing something with the team. Now, check it out. But um, John Barry is just like, for a guy who had so much energy and played a certain way, you kind of expected him to go on TV and be kind of a funny, goofy type of guy, but he's not. I mean, he's kind of a jerk. Like he he's, he's like so straight laced with his analysis that it's like. And I know that's there's obviously something, uh, some room for that. And I know that maybe some of you listeners hope that I was a little bit more straight laced at times. But uh, I just it's surprising that a guy who played that type of way. But I guess he's a Barry, and he can't do anything about that. They're known around for being a certain type of way in that family. Um, but the Pistons, moving on with the game tonight against Philly. Obviously not much has changed since Friday night for that team, so we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on the 76ers today. Uh, the, they're going to get Joel, Joel Embiid back. He was just resting. He is not injured. So that will be a huge challenge for Andre Drummond. Obviously a little bit of drama uh, from the 76ers. They have not played since Friday night, so a little bit of a rest advantage against the Pistons, who are uh, really kind of fighting it right now in terms of their stamina and uh, physical health. And, of course, with the injuries to Ish Smith and Stanley Johnson and Reggie Bullock being the biggest byproduct of that. But after the game on Friday, Embiid, even though he didn't play, he still caused a little bit of a stir and told uh, Keith uh, of the Philadelphia Inquirer, Keith Pompey, who's also the Lockdown Sixers host, and you should check that out today as you're preparing for the game. But um, said Joel Embiid says he's kind of not happy with his role um, since the Jimmy Butler trade. He's trying to figure that out kind of on the fly and really kind of struggling with it. And I don't – I mean, it, the kind of thing that Jimmy Butler squashed pretty quickly as far as it becoming a more of a thing, and Butler went on to say that uh, I didn't read it because I don't read anything that anybody puts out. Okay, well, whatever. But he says, I know where his heart is at. His heart's pure. He wants to win, and I can feel for him. It's new to myself. It's new to him. It's new to everybody. But we're okay. I know he wants to win. It's frustrating. He wanted to play, but coach didn't let him play. Uh, we need him long-term. He needed rest. He's been doing a lot on both ends of the floor for the team. So as our best player, I can understand being frustrated. He's a hell of a player, and we'll figure out ways to make sure he's always successful. So, I, you know, it's one of those things where it gets talked a little bit about on shows like this, but uh, we're not going to draw on draw big conclusions from it or, you know, read the body language of Embiid and Butler tonight or something like that unless something happens, and we'll keep an eye on it. But that's the, kind of the news with the 76ers. You know, one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference, 18-9 and nine right now. Just uh, a team that's far in the distance for the Pistons as far as uh, they need to build up to be a, a team like that. And uh, we'll see if this team can respond. I mean, this is a this is a, a man's game, right? This is a heat check. This is a um, – is this team have a pulse? Or do we have to really start panicking about this team? Uh, because you got Monday in Philly. 
an inspired team that you should see tonight for the Pistons, and then Wednesday in Charlotte. So uh, a couple of games are certainly winnable. One in Charlotte that you'd really like to win because that's one of your red-letter games that's right up against your uh, end of the Eastern Conference playoffs standings there as well. So important week, especially coming off of last week's disaster, and we'll be following along here on the Locked on Pistons podcast. I got a, a good interview already taped for you guys that I'm excited. I will put it on tomorrow's podcast. Excited to share that one with you. And uh, I'll just tease it and leave it at that. So this is your host, Matt Shook, saying enjoy the game tonight, and we'll talk to you guys tomorrow.